Thank you, Jim. So, well, good morning. So, my name is Daniel Holmquist. I'm one of the uh, supported missionaries here from Trinity Church. And uh, I spend most of my time uh, in mission work traveling to various parts of Asia, South Asia primarily, and training uh, church planters and pastors. And so uh, I wanted to give you a little bit of, a, of an update on what's coming up before we look at uh, Proverbs 3 this morning together. So you can put the photo up. So here's a, a picture from a most recent training in South Asia. And, uh, and so you can see people are busy working with each other. That's because we don't just stand up and lecture to them about stuff. We actually have them work on projects together. And, um, and so let me tell you a little bit about the plans for this coming year. Um, for the past few years, we've been doing about two trainings um, two locations a year in this part of South Asia, but this year we're, we're moving it up to nine. So that, that's a big jump, but it's been such a success, and our, our partners there in South Asia, national partners really believe this is uh, beneficial uh, to continue to expand the work of the church, to plant new churches, and to really elevate the quality um, of, the, of the men and women that are serving in the churches. And so um, uh, this year we're gonna be in three different locations, and there's a cohort of about 12 people that show up at each location, and they have to show up three times in the year for a whole week of residential training. And so that's how you get nine. Three times three is nine. So, but all the trainings are overlapping so that if you get recruited by me to be a trainer, you can actually visit more than one site on one trip, and you don't necessarily have to come back multiple times. So that's the design of it. Uh, you can read more of my newsletters and stuff. But the curriculum, uh, we've pretty much settled on seven main topics now we've learned over the years. Church planting, of course, missions, uh, preaching. That's a new one we're adding this year, how to interpret the Bible and preach expository sermons. Um, the basics of theology, the Trinity, and, and who Jesus is. Apologetics, uh, coaching for leadership development, and disciple making. And so those are the topics. I'll be headed out in March. Um, and I'll be teaching primarily coaching for leadership development this time. But uh, I'm pleased to announce that your pastor, Tim Etherington, is going to be joining us uh, and was one of our teachers. So, yes, thank you, Tim. So, and he's brave enough to go to a location by himself, yes. But he'll be okay because all my friends will take care of him. So, but uh, Tim's going to actually be the very first teacher on teaching how to interpret the Bible and then how to preach it. So I'm really excited to hear how it goes with Tim, and I want to steal all his material so that I can use it in the fall when I have to do the same thing. So, so that, uh, that's what's coming up. Um, also, um, as I've been traveling around, uh, of course, doing ministry for these last number of years in Asia, um, one theme that, that sticks out a lot to me that's a problem that I run into is I work with church planners, I work with church planning movements, I work with some in the United States as well, that I see abusive leadership taking place. Of course, that would never happen in the church, right? Yes. So, but we know it has, um, but not even there, but people experience it in their lives, in their workplaces, uh, and they import those leadership techniques into the church. And that's a real problem. I mean, the Bible's clear on how we should lead, but people, you know, we're not, we're not always that strong. So um, I'm actually doing some research on abusive leadership, and I'm hoping that maybe some of you might be able to help me. You can put the the slide up. I'm doing a, a research survey. And so I'm looking at uh, abuse of supervision, not just in Christian organizations, but any organization you might work for. And so if you don't know how this works, what you do is you turn on your camera on your phone and you scan the QR code. 
and then it will tell you, go to website, and you say yes. Um, and then you can take the survey. It's only five minutes, but it probably only applies to a handful of you here. Um, so basically, um, you know, if you've been experiencing abusive or hostile supervision in your workplace, and you've worked there for more than five years, I'm really interested in studying um, how you cope with that and uh, what kinds of things might help correct the situation. So maybe it doesn't apply to you. There's more details on whether you qualify for the survey once you go to it. But you could forward it to some friends that you are coworkers that you might know experience this. It only takes five minutes. And hopefully, it'll turn out to be uh, something that God can use as we do further training um, in leadership development, both in Asia uh, and in the United States. So, so thank you for uh, praying and supporting us in our mission work, and especially for sending um, your pastor uh, Tim Etherington uh, to join us this time. So, And uh, if you didn't have time to, to get that, I can give it to you later afterwards as well. Don't take the survey while I'm preaching. Okay, so. Anyway, yes. okay, so let me go ahead and pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much for your scripture. Uh, we praise you as the eternal three-in-one as we just got done singing, uh, how glorious you are in your being and beyond our comprehension. And you are just a marvelous and mysterious, a great and glorious God. And we thank you that you have condescended to us to reveal yourself in your scripture uh, so that we can know who you are, how you work, and eventually to know how um, you would save us through Jesus Christ. And we praise you that by your grace, the grace of your spirit, you have enlivened us uh, to who you are and to these eternal truths. And pray that you would guide us this morning in your word. Amen. So I'm going to be talking from Proverbs chapter 3 this morning about God's promises for 2020. Now, of course, in Proverbs 3, these are God's promises for our life all the time. Not just 2020, but if they're for all the time, then they're definitely for 2020. So that's where the title comes from. Um, so please turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, or I saw it's in your bulletin. You can read it there as well. But it's still January. So it's still appropriate to talk about plans for the new year and how it is you want to live out your life. So why the book of Proverbs? Why pick uh, Proverbs chapter 3? Well, I think we all know that it's God's will for our life that we become wise, that we develop this moral skill um, to live life successfully before God. We want to grow in godly wisdom, uh, in our living patterns, the choices we make, the kind of commitments we give ourselves over to, and the motivations that underlie everything of what we do. And we know that God wants us to be formed into the very image of Christ. Well, that's why the book of Proverbs is here for us as God's people. It's God's wisdom program for us to grow. So just a, a quick uh, introduction to the book. Um, of course, the book of Proverbs is very long, and you probably have uh, memorized a few Proverbs here and there. So, but the way it's organized is there's this, this very lengthy nine-chapter introduction or prologue, more appropriately, that it's called. And it consists, in chapters one through nine, you have very clearly 10 different lectures that the fa this father is giving to his son as he goes out into the world and learns how to live. And there are also two speeches contained in this beginning as well. So if you look at chapter one, uh, the very introduction to the book itself is just the first seven verses. It gives you the theme and talks about how you can gain the benefits of wisdom by having a healthy fear of the Lord as you live your life. But then the first fatherly lecture that starts, a very interesting place that he starts, he talks about avoiding the life of crime not joining gangs, basically. And that's in uh, chapter 1, verses 8 to 19. And then after that lecture is given to his son, then a woman wisdom comes in and offers a speech to be heard. And then the second lecture begins in chapter 2, 
And this lecture is to strive after wisdom to know God uh, more thoroughly. And then we come to the third lecture where we're at today, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Uh, 1 to 12. And this lecture is really about covenant obligations and promises. Uh, but that's a lot. That's a mouthful. So I want to break that down a little bit more. And it's really about God's promises for 2020. And what you've probably already heard is that many of these verses are very familiar to you. In fact, some of them you might have memorized. You might even have on a postcard on your refrigerator to remind you uh, how to trust the Lord with your life. But I want us to understand them a little bit more today. And this section, this lecture, really, I think, is putting on us the, the burden of this, that we, if we fully trust God, fully trust Yahweh in all things, we're going to fully gain all of his promises. So if we fully trust him, we're going to fully gain his promises. And so our father, if you will, from the book of Proverbs, we're supposed to put ourselves in the position as we read the book, as if we're a young man, maybe 20 years old, who's going out into the world and wants to know how to be a success, not just in the world's eyes, but really in God's eyes. And so our father is speaking to us and he gives us this lecture. It's very simply outlined here as well. Verses one to four is the introduction. He's gonna remind us of God's word and God's covenant. And then the body of the lecture is verses five to 10. And there are actually three uh, commandments, if you will, in that section, urging us to trust and to fear and to honor God. And then he concludes, in verses 11 and 12, reminding us of the blessing it is to have God involved in our life like a father. He doesn't just leave us on our own to live, live our lives, but he disciplines us and trains us. So today's lecture from the Father in Proverbs consists of really six sets of obligations and promises. And it's really easy. Look at your Bible for a minute. Every odd-numbered verse is a command. And every even-numbered verse is a promise. That's how it's structured. So it's really simple. It's fun to follow this. And so I hope that we will fully trust Yahweh um, and fully gain his promises, not just today, but all throughout 2020. So let's take a look at these. Let's look at the introduction. He reminds us about God's word. Now, we all desire a long and peaceful life, don't we, as believers, definitely. And that's what verses 1 and 2 are really about. And then verses 3 and 4 are about something else we really want in this life, and that's we want to be uh, looked at positively by other people and by God himself. We want to gain favor in the eyes of God and man. And that's what verses 3 and 4 are about. So we read verses 1 and 2, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So notice how he begins, very beginning, the father's addressing the son again, so that's why we know it's a new lecture. It'll actually close the same way when we get there. But again, that's the position we're supposed to take. And yes, you can actually say, well, it's like, it's, it's almost as if God, my father, is talking to me as one of his children to teach me how to live successfully before him. So the obligation begins, listen. Don't forget his teaching, he's saying to his son. Now, of course, that is the whole book of Proverbs. It's an introduction. So he's saying, make sure you know everything in the book. But, of course, by extensions, he's talking to all of the word, about all of the word of God that is given to us. So if you just briefly glance back at chapter 2, the very beginning, this is the previous lecture, notice how he begins this one. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver 
and search for it as for hidden treasures, well, then you will find it and you will understand. And so that's what he means when he's talking about don't forget my teaching. Remember it. And what it means when he says don't forget, it means now you're responsible to remember. I mean, it's just like when you raise your children when they're really young and you say, don't forget that. That basically means I'm giving you the responsibility now to remember what I just said because I'm not going to remind you, right? That's how we raise our kids anyway. So, so you're responsible to remember the things. And so it's all here in, in the word for us, thankfully in print, and we can read it. So the obligation, though, goes farther than just simply knowing it. It says you're to obey with one's heart. It means the very core of our being. Uh, it implies not only that we know it, but that we accept it. We have that attitude that what we read, we accept. And that we, we align our whole, our whole thoughts, our resolve, our willpower to obey it. Now, of course, the how-to is actually pretty simple. It's just being consistent in the teachings, in the word that you have in front of you. And you should probably also know that the best way to remember God's word and to obey it is actually to memorize it and meditate on it. I saw that in your bulletin you have a, a, a plan here to read the Bible in this year. Uh, again, that's a wonderful thing to do because it gives you opportunity every day to spend time in God's word and to actually think about what you're reading and to pray through it and to meditate upon it. And that will help you obey with your heart. Now the promise then comes in that if you do this, you're going to get a long life. Following God's word will lead to this in his providence, according to his design. In fact, this kind of promise is even repeated by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament when he quotes from the Ten Commandments. And he says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So all things being equal, and that's a big statement because all things are not often equal. But the book of Proverbs, of course, is not a book of promises. They're general promises about all things being equal, that those who keep this obligation are going to live a longer and happier life. Because God, through his providence, works in these ways. We'll talk about exceptions in a minute. But that's what we understand about how he works. And there are many reasons for exceptions in life. God has unusual purposes sometimes for people, maybe oftentimes, special purposes and plans. And, and there are so many of them and they're so well hidden. I mean, how often have we wondered why? And we don't know the answer. God keeps these things hidden from us for his own purposes. And we see so many things that disturb us about wicked people prospering, righteous people dying young, Christians suffering around the world, right? But that's another topic for another day, and someone much more intelligent than me, Pastor Tim, will be glad to answer all those questions. But that's not the focus of this passage. So we don't want to miss the general rule by focusing on exceptions. So this is the general rule of life that God is giving us and how he orchestrates things. That's our focus. That's what's before us. And so if we, we trust, we trust in God's wise character. We believe in him. We hope in him. And that in his own time, in his own way, according to his own wisdom and his own glory, and ultimately for our good as the one he loves, He's going to work out his plans perfectly. But the promise isn't just generally you're going to get a long life, but it's going to be a long life filled with peace. That's actually even a better promise, isn't it, to have peace in life? And that's always going to be the case, even if your long life is filled with a lot of exceptions along the way about how difficult it is. 
that this inner peace that comes from God will be with you. That's his promise. The word used in Hebrew here is shalom, which you know. It means something much more robust than just simply the word peace. It means rich satisfaction, meaningfulness, joy, contentment, wholeness in God. It carries all of those meanings for us. And it's also intended, yes, to take us beyond this life and make us to start thinking in the book of Proverbs, ah, there must be something more than this life where this shalom is going to be achieved. And so, yes, the promise goes even beyond this life for a long life and peace for an eternal life filled with eternal peace. So that's the first promise and first obligation, reminding us of God's word and its blessing. And he goes on to talk about the covenant then in verses 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So the obligation here is to keep love and fidelity. So those two words are like uh, key words that remind us of God's covenant, steadfast love and faithfulness. And these two words are talking about God's character ultimately and remind us, you've been studying the book of Exodus, I believe. So I don't know if you're in chapter 34 yet or not, but if not, here's a jump ahead, 34, 6. When, when the Lord reveals himself to Moses, he proclaims about himself, the Lord, the Lord, a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Right? That little phrase is always meant in the Bible to remind you of Exodus 34 and who God is and what this covenant involves and how big it is. And so we're, we're required to keep those things too. God does it perfectly, of course, but, but steadfast love might even be better translated today as loyal love. It's a loyal love uh, and shows loyalty. And then stay, faithfulness is staying true to the covenant, right? And it's not that you earn, of course, your way. You can't earn your way into the covenant. God has to bring you in by his grace. And that is experienced by faith in Jesus Christ who's been put forth as our Redeemer, the eternal Son, the perfect man who came and died on the cross for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The covenant finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and that's the covenant we're talking about ultimately as New Testament believers. So now to bind around the neck and to write on the heart are two images that are given to us. They're phrases of accepting authority, of accepting the covenant terms that God has put forth, accepting Verses 1 and 2, that God's word is the authority in our life. So it's like wearing it like a necklace. That's an outward symbol of honor, of being protected, and of being guided. And God, in his covenant, will uh, protect his people. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The second image is write it on your heart. I mean, think about that now. How do you write something on your heart? That's talking about the internalization of Scripture. It's a theme that's all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the New Testament 
of internalizing scripture, memorizing it, meditating on it, obeying it. And so together, the first pair, verses 1 and 2, and the second pair, verses 3 and 4, teach us how to know God and to keep knowing his teachings and how to keep on doing them. That's the introduction. And so the promise then here comes in. It's favor and grace and success or esteem or reputation, depending on your translation. That's, that's the blessing you get from keeping, being faithful to God's covenant. It's, it's quite a statement. I mean, notice that it's not just that people are going to look at you and marvel, but God's going to look at you with pleasure. God will favor you and grant you success and be pleased with you like a proud father would from the book of Proverbs. And people will respect you and honor you, generally speaking, of course, because a lot of people don't like Christians. That's just the way it is. But people will seek you out and ask you about your success in life and your relationship with God. Did you know this happened to Jesus? In Luke chapter 2, verses 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Oh, yeah, Jesus is our Savior, and he's our Lord. He's the eternal Son. He's also our model. He's also one who faithfully and fully fulfilled the book of Proverbs. He's the image that we're being formed into by the Holy Spirit. And so first, this introduction just simply reminds us again of Yahweh's word, his covenant. So if you do, do you want a long and peaceful life with respect from other people, especially as 2020 moves along, then spend your time in the word of God and get to know the teaching. Spend time pondering it and how you might live it out. Review your habits. Be encouraged by the progress God has given you and Maybe redouble your efforts in some new areas. And above all, believe in the promises that God has given, that this is the way life works. Better stated, this is the way God makes life work. It's his life. And so it's quite an awesome introduction to a, to a lecture. And so now we get to the three main promises and obligations, and they help us again understand that if we fully trust God in all things, we can gain all his promises. So these will go fairly quickly, but the pretty th three, three obligations here are very simple, trust, fear, and honor. And you can see those in, in your Bible. Remember the odd verses, five, seven, and nine. There they are. So trust him, fear him, and honor him. And they come with promises. So if you trust God, you're going to have a smooth journey. If you fear him, you're going to be healed and refreshed. And if you honor him, you're going to enjoy abundance. Those are the three obligations. So we read in verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This is the one you probably or most of you are familiar with, and you have it somewhere in your house. And it really is the first and the key to this bod, the center part of this, this uh, proverb lecture is this one. And so the other two sort of flow out of this. So trust Yahweh, have a smooth journey. So the obligation is to have full confidence in God and in his ways. So do you have full confidence uh, in God and in his ways? It, it means ultimately that we really can't ultimately trust in ourselves, in our understanding of things, and in our own resourcefulness to get them done. Now that's really hard for Americans because these are our most celebrated virtues, to trust in ourselves, trust in our understanding, to trust in our resourcefulness. And clearly it makes a great challenge for our faith. It's so important, especially when our, our ideas don't match God's revealed will. But God's revealed will 
That's just what's happening. Okay? That's open. You see it. So when our ideas don't match his revealed will, that's just when it becomes really challenging that we have to trust the way he's working out his providential plan. So sometimes we don't like what we read in the Bible, or we don't like how God's running the world. He runs the world, by the way. And we don't like how he runs our own lives sometimes. That's a real challenge. So we're supposed to acknowledge here that, well, we need better understanding, a better wisdom, um, and more resources than we ourselves have. You see, because they really can't fit together very well. You can't have ultimate confidence in your own abilities while at the same, same time having ultimate confidence in God because one will undermine the other. So then the, the obligation gets uh, even stronger in verse 6 when it says, we are to know God in all of our ways every day. So take a look at that in verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I really don't like that translation of the Hebrew word, acknowledge, uh, because it's sort of, to us, uh, in the way we speak, it means you just sort of give a nod to God. You, know, you heard that phrase before, right? And that's not what it's just saying. It's like, oh, yeah, God, you're there, I know, and then you move on. Literally, it means know him. So it means know, in all your ways, know him, is what it's saying. And, the, and so it's not this token momentary prayer, Lord, bless my plans, and then you move on. It means being aware of his presence and communicating with him and really desiring that he go on the journey with you in life. Of course he is, but it's expressing that desire to him. It's wanting him so close in your life throughout every event in your day that you're not just praying at the beginning of a board meeting or whatever meeting you're in or at the beginning of your day, but you're praying all throughout your day and you're planning and you're goal setting and your relationships with people and thinking about the future. So it's having God with you um, and all along the way. So the promise then is that he's going to keep you on the right path. Even more than that, he's going to make it a smooth one. As long as you go along together, he's going to guide you. He's going to give you directions. He's going to remove obstacles. And he's going to take you to his appointed goal for what he has for you. So the second then main obligation, that's the first, trust, trust in Yahweh and you'll have a smooth journey. Make sure you know him in all your ways. Second, fear him and be healed and refreshed. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, the obligation here is so important um, from verses 5 and 6, which is the main point that it really continues here right away, um, sort of has this phrase beforehand, and it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Now, later on in the book of Proverbs, it's put this way, Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. That's not a lot of hope. No, not a lot. So one might actually get the impression that this is a problem in the fallen human condition that we're all in. There's this temptation to be wise in our own, our own eyes, and it, and it befalls all of us to be wise in our own eyes. And so we've seen this in action probably, and my guess is we've, we've had an opportunity to live it out ourselves too. So hopefully when we were wise in our own eyes, you know, we were humbled by God and he taught us that we need to look to him instead. But we've seen it. I mean, you see it in um, precocious children who act as if they're already adults, right? So, and we sort of smile because that's just part of human development, so whatever, but fallen human development too. Um, we see it in idealistic youth who make rash decisions about these large projects. No clue what they're talking about, right? We see it in, uh, you know, the big-headed graduate who thinks that he has the solutions for all the world's problems. And they're so simple. Um, we see it in new parents who uh, are going to raise the perfect family. 
So all the world will marvel. Yep. And we see it in people who get out and make their first million or whatever, who make their first, get their first job and are successful in it. And they think it's all due to their good choices. Yeah, 100%. And then after we've been in life for a while, we get very successful in whatever career path God has taken us down or whatever we're doing. Yeah, we've seen people who take full credit that really it's just, it's because they made all the right decisions along the way. And we see it in older people too, who overplay the wisdom they've gained from life and actually want to take God's spot for other people. So it can happen to any of us at any stage of life. We can be wise in our own eyes. So if we're wise in our own eyes, strong in our own strength, thinking we know more than everyone else does, at some point we're going to fail. And that failure is going to be miserable and most likely embarrassing. And we're going to make a lot of mistakes. And the reason it says flee evil is because you'll probably end up in something evil at the same time doing all this. And so that's why the opposite of being wise in your own eyes is fearing God. That's the opposite of it. So if you don't want to be wise in your own eyes, you fear Yahweh. That's the theme of the book. So if you go back to chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the whole book of Proverbs is about that. It's like theme and variation, okay, in music. Right? It's just, this is the theme, and the whole book is just a variation of that theme. And it's going to explain it all the way through. So, in other words, we're supposed to get God's wisdom in his perspective and, and get out of evil because if you're wise in your own eyes, it's probably likely that you're playing around with evil or hanging around evil people. And you should get away from those things. So keep yourself in check. And the way you do that is by having a healthy fear and awe and respect of God and wanting really his wisdom for your life, not your own wisdom. So the promise then is a very interesting promise. So if you look at the promise here, it says, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be uh, healing. I'm going to translate it literally. It's going to be healing to your navel. Yeah, he's going to heal your belly button. So why is that the word? It'll be healing to your navel. It's because that's the geographical center point, if you will, of your body. It's just a poetic way of saying at the very core of your being. It will be healing to all of you, to your whole person. And the promise goes on and, and just repeats the same kind of idea, a refreshment to your bones. Like that's like as deep as you can get inside is the idea. And so it's deep inside one being. And it's talking about everything, physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing, healing at every level of life. In other words, we might say that the fear of the Lord and not being wise in our own lives is one fundamental principle to health, to feeling better, and to feeling better about life, feeling better about 2020. The third urge here, urging of an obligation and then promise is honor Yahweh and enjoy abundance, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. <laughs> So here's a key instruction that's sort of saved for this moment. It's interesting that this is put in here because it's, it's like this is a proof test of whether or not you did verses 5 and 6, uh, really, going back to the beginning. Um, it's going to show whether or not you really trust the Lord and whether or not you really fear the Lord. If you honor Yahweh with your wealth, then you truly trust him and you truly fear him. 
If you don't honor Yahweh with your wealth, well, then you don't really trust him, and you don't really honor him, and you don't really fear him. It's a great test, because it's a test that God always gives us throughout our whole life and gives us so many opportunities to su succeed at it, right? Because we're always going to have financial pressure. We're never going to escape it in our life. And so it's like this, this constant test we have that gives us an opportunity to trust and to have faith and to honor God first. Now, the obvious matter, of course, in context, is going to be the giving of the tithe as part of worshiping Yahweh. And it makes mention here, of course, because, you know, it's talking about, it makes mention of giving the first and best. So we honor the Lord as the giver of all good things to us uh, when we give to him. And, and perhaps even more here is implied anyway, because God requires more generosity than just that. You know, that just, than just that simple 10% idea uh, from his people. And it's all over the Bible anyway. So just a few of them, uh, both from the Old Testament and New Testament, speak about blessing that comes from honoring the Lord. Um, in Malachi chapter 3, it says, Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven to you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In 2 Corinthians 9.11, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through, through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And, again, we go back to Jesus. He's the ultimate example. 2 Corinthians 8.9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So enough said about that. But here's the promise, is that if you honor the Lord with what he's given you, then it's like what you have is going to be miraculously increased. God is behind the overflow because he's the most resourceful being in the universe. And he actually orchestrates every little detail that takes place in your life. And so he has the ability to very simply do what he wants to bless you. And of course, as Christians, we know that the object of gaining wealth is not to hoard it, but it's to bless other people. And, of course, it's to honor the Lord and to, and to move the mission forward. But it's this cycle, this, this, this cycle in life that we live, this rhythm of honoring God with what he blesses us, and then he blesses us again. And then we honor him again, and he blesses us again. And it's a relationship that we, as those who know God, have with him, and it's a privilege to be a part of it. So what, what generosity plans might you have for 2020? So here in the body of the sermon, the lecture this man is give, the Father is giving us, we, there are three things, trust, fear, and honor. And so the question really is, are you spending time being close to him, close enough to be counseled? Close enough to be counseled by the word, to be counseled by the spirit as you read it, and giving him your whole life to guide, not just going off and living it by yourself. So each of these obligations and promises can be applied so many ways in our lives, and I hope you use them to help yourself fully trust in Yahweh and fully gain his benefits. So now we get to the conclusion of his lecture at the, at the very end, verses 11 and 12, and he reminds us of the blessing of God's fatherly discipline upon our life. And so in verse 11, he talks about accepting God's correction and growing by it. And in verse 12, that God loves us like a father, and so he disciplines us. We read, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, and a father the son in whom he delights. And notice again, it begins, my son, 
Right? So it's showing that the section fits together. It's one unit. It's one lecture that's being given. And it's a very easy organization that I gave it to you. So the obligation is not to reject this correction or become wearied by it. And you sort of wonder as you read this, you know, and you think about the potential original context of the, of the text, maybe that's what was going on in the son's life right then and there. I mean, I don't know. If your dad wrote you a letter this long about everything you need to do in life, I, that would be really wearying. So maybe that's what's going on. Or maybe uh, it's just simply letting us know that it's going to be part of our life, that God is this involved. I mean, isn't that great that you're not abandoned? God's just saying, oh, yeah, go live your life any way you want. Have, have, a, have a nice time. But he's intimately involved in our lives. And, uh, and so we don't want it to be wearying. So his correction comes in so many different forms, again, because he controls everything. Now, at first, we might think in this passage, well, the way that correction might come is in the removal of the blessings that were just outlined. So he could remove peace, uh, could remove favor, could remove a smooth path, could remove refreshment, uh, could remove abundance. Maybe so. Um, but we also admit, you know, it's really difficult to interpret hardship in life, right? I mean, the example of Job is perfect because when you read the book of Job, I mean, we're lucky when we read it because we get the backstory. We know what's really going on. But if you were Job and you were living that, I mean, my guess is none of us would give advice any better than Job's friends. That would be about the level of our advice. And so, you know, some, when, when we see a righteous one suffering, it just doesn't make sense, um, to us in our, in our life. And so it's really hard to interpret hardship, um, to know what's really going on behind the scenes and what God's up to. But then at the same time, you find other examples in the Bible, like David, when he writes some of the Psalms, and, uh, and when he talks about <clears throat> some of the problems in his life or other people's lives, it's like a direct one-to-one correspondence almost. And he talks about, oh, that's really easy because you did this, so this is how God responded. And so maybe sometimes it's easier to know. So how are you going to know? Well, I don't know the answer to that one. But maybe, maybe by serious prayer. Maybe by using the Bible intelligently. Um, maybe by getting godly counsel. It isn't as hard as we sometimes think it might be. And we can just simply move ahead rather than being stymied and stuck on trying to find out why all the time in our life. So it says, don't become wearied. That means we have to keep our attitude in check. Um, because it means entering into what God has for us and accepting it and not getting worn out by it, even when we feel worn out by it. You know, that's why we need to pray. And so the wise people in the book of Proverbs, we want scrutiny and care um, from our God who is our father. Right? The fool is the one who doesn't want that in his life or her life. So we're very thankful that we had guidance from an earthly father. Well, how much more perfect guidance are we going to get from our Heavenly Father? And that's what comes from Scripture in this book. So this is good, and then God will give us this fatherly discipline we read, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as the Father of the Son in whom he delights. So the promise is receiving this loving correction because God delights in us. Now why does he delight in us? He doesn't delight in us because we're sinful human beings. He only delights in us because he delights in his eternal Son. And because we are in him. So our Lord Jesus Christ purchased us. And we are his. That is why he delights in us. Because he delights in his son who is in us and to whom we belong. 
He delights in us because by the Holy Spirit, he has made us members of his family and, and delightful people. You know, he has adopted us into his family. And so we are really spiritually, truly his sons and daughters. And so that's why he delights in us. He doesn't delight in everyone the same. He delights in his people uniquely. And so his attention and his correction in our life are signs of love and grace. God hasn't abandoned us to live our own life, you know, like people, sadly, many are abandoned in this world. So Yahweh loves his children, those in his covenant. He doesn't want us to ruin our lives. And so he's extremely patient with us, thankfully. And, you know, he knows exactly what it's going to take to turn his children around when they're walking in the wrong direction. And sometimes we wish, of course, especially those of us who have adult children, that we could, like, push them harder um, to get back on track. But we have to trust in, in, in God that he knows exactly what it's going to take to get them where he wants them to be. And, uh, and so he does a perfect job, and we trust him. And we trust him in our own lives. So now this is true enough, but so often when we talk about God's correction, we're talking about the basics. And one of the things I don't like about the way Christian communities tend to talk about this verse is like we're talking about early parenting techniques all the time. Right? Because the image really isn't that you got some toddler wandering around who needs a swat. That's not really what it's talking about. Okay. Okay, if you're, if you're a toddler in the faith, fine, you can, you can take that. But, but it's about a whole training program. It's about, it's about the wholeness and holiness of life um, for the next steps. It's really about coaching and guiding and training, a guiding and training program for grown-ups. That's what we're talking about here. So we're not talking about like this, okay, go to your room, you know, kind of a thing. Or, you know, you need some, you know, t time here, you need to be... Uh, spanked or whatever it might be. But no, it's talking about like a training program for athletes they go through or soldiers go through or actually the life of a Christian is really what he's talking about. Is how do we live our life? What's God doing in our lives? So turn um, to Hebrews chapter 12, the beginning there. And I want to just read this first paragraph to you because it actually quotes, the author of Hebrews quotes Proverbs 3, 11, and 12 here. So again, I know Pastor Tim is great at this, but one of the best things you need to do in understanding the Old Testament is find out where it's quoted in the New, and then you read it because then you know what it means. Like that's like the simplest thing ever. So, um, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Here's the quotation. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment... 
All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Right? So basically, our whole life's a training program, right? And we're going to struggle with sin our whole life, and we're going to be assaulted by people um, our whole life as Christians, some places in the world more so than others. But it's all part of God's plan to perfect us like his son and conform us to his image. So take great progress in, uh, great comfort in the progress you're making. You know, his watchful care and his involvement in your life. You know, so often Christians are always focusing on things that they're not doing well. I mean, so you can do that, but I also want to encourage you to focus on how God is making you do well and that you're growing in your faith. God's discipline and training are meant to help us make progress, and we should delight in that progress. Remember, all the obligations are in the odd verses, so you can go back and look at this yourself, and then you can receive all the promises in the even verses. It's just like Jesus said to the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. There'll be great fellowship with him. So God's discipline and training is meant to teach us how to trust him in everything so that we can get all the blessings that he has promised for us. So this lecture that we just looked at from the Father in the book of Proverbs is all about living a basic normal life in a generally stable society and living in such a way that pleases God as one of his people, that shows that we're a Christian pursuing Christ-likeness. It speaks to general life matters for believers, the obligations we have, the promises that are before us. It doesn't address exceptions, and there are plenty of them. It doesn't address the many hardships we go through. Other passages of scripture do that. It doesn't address special works of God. Other passages look at that as well. Nor does it really just address the fact that we all have to live and die in a sinful world. And it doesn't directly address even very specific callings that God may have on our lives. It's not in this text. It's about living the basic, normal Christian life, trying to pursue what God has for us, assuming everything is equal, all things being equal. This is the way it works. It's God's providence at work. So it teaches us to navigate life well with God's wisdom and his pleasure. And so following him um, in his word, following the covenant promises and obligations, it's going to be a way God conforms us to the very image of his son. And it's going to cause us to grow spiritually. So I'd encourage you to take some time this week. It's still January. Think through some of the areas of your lives as you look on this new year. And consider your progress and some of these obligations that are put before you in Proverbs 3 this morning. Just simple things like remembering the word of God, loving God, being faithful to our relationship with him. Trusting in him more than in ourself. Maintaining a healthy fear of him. Honoring him with the resources he gives us. And accepting his fatherly care and love and involvement in our lives and thanking him for it that he hasn't abandoned us. And then we might consider the real tangible blessings that are promised and enjoy them. And because there's even more to come than just this life eternally in Christ, but he promises us a long and meaningful life covered by his gracious favor. I mean, that is a, a beautiful thing. I mean, if you could live your whole life and you only experienced that one thing, that would be enough, wouldn't it? To just have a long and meaningful life covered in his grace. He promises also, though, that he's going to guide us throughout life. He's going to heal us and give us plenty. 
all we need. And he's going to promise that he's going to love us and delight in us, and he's going to be working to cause us to grow in holiness and in happiness. So may we fully trust Yahweh in all things for 2020 and fully gain all his promises. Let me pray for us. God, our Father, we are reminded from this passage of your scripture this morning that you really do interact with us as your children as a father. We know that you are eternally glorious as the triune one. We know that we have redemption in Jesus and power in the Holy Spirit and that these things work in our lives. And it's through them that we have this right standing with you that we can actually maintain these obligations because of the Spirit at work in our lives and that we can observe and see um, and rejoice in the pleasures and the promises that you bring. And so I pray for us, I pray for Trinity Community Church that you would give uh, those here this morning uh, an eagerness to continue to love and follow you faithfully, that you'd fill their lives with meaning and purpose and guidance for this new year and just hope and knowing that you are, you are lovingly caring for them. And we pray all these things for Jesus' glory in his church. Amen.